scripture reading this morning is from Colossians 3, 1 through 17. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, Barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you. So you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgivingness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Congregation, this passage may be familiar with to you. My second Sunday that I was here in the summer of 2019, I preached this sermon <laughs> by request of a young person, of all things. Wonderful. <laughs> they have asked that I would preach this sermon again. And taking it before the elders, they consented for this, for our Easter message. That second Sunday that I preached it, the second Sunday I was here in May 2019. And for many, probably 
It was not in many ways understood. In light of the ministry that you have heard from this pulpit over the last nine months, and especially just recently in terms of our finishing messages in Malachi, plus if you've been tuned in to the messages on Second Peter, then perhaps this message will make a lot more sense now. So I've chosen that it would be appropriate to place before you this morning once again. And hopefully this time, for all of us, it may in many ways come together. That's what my hope is, and you'll see the dimensions of what's going on. I often told my students that the Colossians 3 passage from 1 through 17, if you're perplexed when you read the epistles of Paul as to what Paul is actually saying, what his ministry is all about, then I would present to you that this is a nice closed section that tells you the complete theology or understanding of the ministry of the Apostle Paul. You have it all here in this 17 verses. If you understand this, then you'll understand Paul in terms of everything that he writes. If you wish to put that into one single verse, I would suggest it's Galatians 2.20, if you ever want to investigate that. That is what Paul is all about in terms of that. So hopefully this morning, by God's grace, this will come together and will be more crystal clear to you concerning the ministry of Paul. For myself, there is a personal note here in terms of my Christian life. It is this passage that really, in many ways, set me in a whole different consciousness in terms of my own Christian understanding. As all of us would say, I only wish that I could live it better. (laughs) So, but nevertheless, it, it must come together in terms of our consciousness of what Paul is directing and presenting to the church. As we look at this passage, I think it should be stated from the outset that Paul writes his epistles as a pastor to the churches, as a pastor to the churches. There is no doubt that the Apostle Paul has been understood as the greatest theologian in the history of the church. But sometimes when we think about it in those terms, we forget that the Apostle Paul is really a pastor as he writes these epistles to the various churches or individuals to whom he writes. And above all, he is the pastor of the resurrection of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He is pastoring the people, the flock of Christ, in resurrection living. Resurrection living. The resurrection is really the central topic of all Paul's writings. Now we could go into a long discourse to prove that by looking at the structure of Paul's writings in his various epistles. 
our OP, great New Testament scholar and theologian, Richard B. Gaffin, has presented this to us in his work on resurrection and redemption. I would recommend that to you, a number of you, in the 2019, when I was here in the summer, we went through parts of that, and then Elder Scott Hunter continued that over the last year in terms of that volume. But instead of going over all of that, <laughs> I would like to just present to you one proof of this point that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is his central topic. Let me just present his argument there in 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul tells the effect of the resurrection upon the Christian faith. If Christ has not been raised, he writes to the Corinthians, then our preaching is in vain, for there is no message to proclaim, and therefore your faith is in vain and worthless, and we are still in our sins. In truth, Christianity is futile and meaningless if Christ has not been raised. And therefore, you could be like the world today and be out in the world if Christ has not been raised, you see. But the truth is, Paul says, and remember in this particular passage, he's already built the case in terms of the 500 witnesses that had witnessed the resurrected Christ. He says, in truth, Christianity is not, is not futile and worthless. Not at all. But the truth is that Christ has been raised from the dead, and thus your faith, your faith is not futile and it is not worthless. Not at all. Thus you can see why the resurrection is said to be Christ's central topic and theme. It is so because there is not any preaching. There is not any pastoring. There is no salvation by faith alone if he has not been raised. Christ's resurrection is central, is central if Christianity has any meaning at all. However, the meaning of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is not some abstract theological concept, but rather the resurrection is at the heart, the very heart of the believer's existence. The believer's existence is defined by and in the resurrection of Christ. Don't miss that. Your life as a believer in Jesus Christ, your life is defined by and in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Have you looked at your life that way? Or do you just pull it out for today? Is your whole life defined by and in the resurrection of Jesus Christ? 
For this is the period of the history of redemption that we have moved into, a time when the resurrection from the dead in the promised Messiah has become a reality. History has been fulfilled. So that now, according to the Apostle Paul in Galatians 4.4, the fullness of time has arrived. Redemptive history has reached its fulfilled state. Jesus Christ comes as the incarnate Son of God, the promised seed of redemption, who experiences the final and true resurrection from the curse of sin. So that we, each one of us who believe in Jesus Christ, can live the abundant life. So that the people in his church may live the resurrection life. Jesus Christ removes the veil removes the veil from the Old Testament's foretaste of resurrection experience and now has appeared in flesh and spirit to his disciples, to his church, to the Apostle Paul as the fully manifested, resurrected Lord and Savior. Thus, in our text... Paul gives to us a glimpse, a glimpse, a powerful glimpse it is, of what the believer's life in terms of the resurrection means. What does your life mean? What's the meaning of your life in terms of the resurrection of Jesus Christ? What does it mean? It means that you... That you, as a believer, have already, already been raised from the bed and brought into union with Jesus Christ. You see, if you think your resurrection is something that is only exclusively limited to the future, that is, in terms of the bodily resurrection at the end. If that's where you think your resurrection is to be focused, then you do not understand. You do not understand the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The believer's resurrection took place over 2,000 years ago. Do you notice how Paul starts the passage there in Colossians 3.1? He's using the past tense. That's what the church has to come to grips with. That's what the Christian needs to come to grips with. He's using the past tense. If then you have been raised together with Jesus Christ, When Christ rose from the dead, all believers were resurrected. Whether they lived, you see, prior to Christ's coming, whether they were present at Christ's coming, or whether they live in the future, or whether they have not even been born yet. (laughs) Those who are going to be in Christ, Ephesians 1 
are resurrected with Christ. That's how powerful, that is how powerful the resurrection of Christ is. That's how powerful that empty tomb is with respect to the believer. You may say, but look, Paul, I still must go through physical death. I still must go through physical death. How can I already be risen from the dead? Congregation, what you must realize, what you must realize here is that physical death does not determine where you're going to spend eternity. Sin determines where you're going to spend eternity. And thus the marvelous joy that we have in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is that Christ crucified sin to the cross and by rising from the dead, he has put to death sin once and for all for all those who pressed and have faith upon him. Therefore, the believer through Christ's resurrection, and it is only through his resurrection that we are raised from the dead because through Christ, sin has been put to death. That is what verse 3 is all about if you look at that little phrase there. For you died. Well, what died in you? What has died in you? Sin. Sin has died in you. And Paul is pointing this before you clearly here in the old, in terms of the old self being crucified with Christ and the new self taking on a new person. That is who you are. He points out in Romans 6, 6, the same notion when he writes, knowing this, that the old self was crucified with him, that our body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Congregation, we do not live under the bondage of sin. But under the freedom of Christ, that is for the Apostle Paul, the freedom of the resurrection life. The resurrection life. Now this is the actual state of the believer. That is what Paul is telling us. That is our actual state of existence. We have died to sin in Christ's crucifixion and we have been resurrected from the dead in unity with Christ in his resurrection. It's a nice little saying we can put here at this point and make it immensely personal to you and to your life and to our children in terms of their life and raising them in terms of this also in terms of the Romans 6 passage it's right there what do we tell them 
one thing for sure. <laughs> if my students didn't get anything else, I saw this come back on tests. <laughs> when Christ died, I died. When Christ arose, I arose. That's the power of the death and resurrection. That's the power of its personal effect in the life of the believer. Therefore, since this is the state of the believer, we now are to seek We are to set our minds upon the things above, Paul writes in this passage, where Christ is. We are to seek, we are to set. Here comes the imperative in terms of living out of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Seek, set your minds upon the things that are above. Now carefully listen. Is Paul hypothetical here? You cannot believe how many Christians believe so. I can't do this. I can't do this. Paul's just being hypothetical. We're just supposed to try to do this. We're supposed to try to set in secret. We just can't do it. Or we turn Paul into a Greek, which so many Christians do. Seek, set your minds upon the things that are above. Oh, that's what we're supposed to aspire to be. Paul knows we can't do it, but that's what we're aspired to be. That's the Greek and Roman ethic. If you don't believe me, read Aristotle and Plato on ethics. That's the ethics that dominates Western culture and infiltrates the church ad nauseum. It's not Paul's ethics. It's not where Paul comes from. Not at all. Paul believes in the power. The power of the death and resurrection of Christ. And that power through the Spirit enables you to faithfully act upon the imperatives in the text. Set, seek your mind upon the things that are above. The point is this. If you're in unity, if you're in unity with Christ, 
And if you have been resurrected, as Paul affirms there in verse 1, if you have been resurrected with Christ, then you must be where Christ is. How can we say that we have been resurrected, we have been united with Christ, if we seek the ways of the flesh, the things that are upon the earth? You see, in a very realistic way, we as believers have already gone into heaven because of what Christ has accomplished for each one of us. Since we cannot be separated from Christ, and since Christ is in heaven, seated on the right hand of God, our lives, you may be asking, how is that so? Our lives, here comes the phrase you've been hearing me use in this pulpit quite often, is faith union. Our lives through faith union. Paul's established that in Colossians chapter 2, by the way must exemplify that we are in heaven with him. What is Paul's ethics? What is Paul's ethics for the Christian life? Become who you already are in Christ. Become who you already are in Christ. Let's go one more step. Become where you already are in Christ. Where are you this morning? (laughs) Well, we're in Kent, Washington. Come on, Pastor Bill. Mm, Wrong answer in sense of the fullness of that answer. You're all in faith union with Christ in the heavenly places. You're in heaven if you believe in Christ. Paul is commanding us just as Christ commanded us to seek and set your mind upon the things that are above heavenly things. Christ put it this way in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6.33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and its righteousness, his righteousness. So resurrection living congregation, resurrection living is heavenly living. That is what Christian ethics and morality is all about, according to Paul. It is living as if we are already in heaven because, in fact, through union with Christ, we are in heaven. Paul puts it this way to the Philippians. Philippians 3.20, he tells the Philippian church, where's your citizenship? We sort of addressed this question last week, didn't we? Where's your citizenship? Paul says it's in heaven. For too many of us, our citizenship in America takes preference over heaven. 
Christ says it is living righteously. Paul tells us what this righteous, resurrected, heavenly life is all about in our given context. Colossians 3, 12 through 17. It's not hyperbole. It's not in the sense of aspiration. He's telling the Colossian church, please listen, congregation. He's telling the Colossian church, this is what your church should look like right now. This is what we want to be looking in terms of our own inspection unto ourselves here at Emmanuel OPC. What does our church look like? Here it is. It's extremely practical. It's not pie in the sky. He puts legs on the application of what he's talking about. It means that we have been chosen by God unto salvation. That's the preface. And we are to be holy. Holy. We're talking a lot about that in our evening messages right now. Putting on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. What are those? Those are the characteristics of heaven. They supplement exactly what Paul says to the Galatian church concerning the fruits of the Spirit. Therefore, church of the Lord Jesus Christ, let this be in your congregation now. There's no excuse. You live out of the power of the resurrection. It's there. Let these qualities overflow among you. Go on. Bearing with one another, forgiving each other. Why? Once again, because that's what heaven is like. So, Church of Christ, do that now. Putting on love, the bond of unity. Letting peace rule in your hearts. Once again, characteristics of heaven. Let it overflow in Christ's church now. Letting peace rule in your hearts. Letting the word of Christ richly dwell in us, doing all things in the name of Jesus Christ. Because why? Because (laughs) everything's going to pass away, but the word of the Lord Jesus Christ will last forever. Let us never become a church that we do church things in the church for the sake of the name Emmanuel OPC. There are too many churches within Christendom that brings their attention 
to themselves. It's Christ. It's always Christ that is to be exalted and only Him. For He is the name we praise forever and ever. So our lives, Paul's pointing it out. We didn't miss this in the text. In light of this resurrection living and heavenly living, our lives are to be dead to immorality, impurity, vow passions, evil desires, greed, and idolatry. Why? Because those are not characteristics of the heaven. And therefore the church must keep those characteristics out of its presence. Colossians 3, 5, for those are the things of the earth. You see, the life of the church is a resurrection life and a heavenly existence. That is why the resurrection is not a once a year event but Christ and the believer's whole existence, your whole existence, your life, is defined by the resurrection of Christ. The church truly exists in heaven, even here on earth, in terms of our pilgrim journey because of Christ's resurrection. I take this next question from my high school students when I taught high school. Maybe it's on your mind this morning as well. How can we say we are in heaven when there is still so much sin around us here in the world since sin is so much manifested? Well, we've already pointed out That it is through faith union in Jesus Christ that you are there. It's a spiritual union that you have. But there's also another answer that the text provides for you that is really interesting and really exciting. And that is, notice the phrase that Paul says there, your life is hidden with Christ in God. I've quoted that phrase a number of times already in my ministry here before you over the last nine months or so. Which means you see that our life, our life of resurrection and heavenly existence is one hid, to use the language of Paul to the Ephesian church, is hid in the heavenly places with Christ And it is hid from the world, from the world of unbelievers. Now you look at another phrase that Paul uses there in our text. Christ who is our life. That's an interesting phrase. How is Christ our life? When we put these two phrases together, I think something magnificent occurs. Something magnificent occurs. I've tried to put this before you in terms of the outline for you to try to bring clarity to you concerning the point that I want to make. Most people take this phrase, Christ who is our life, as a very subjective phrase. But I think it's richer 
It's more expansive than just that. I think insight comes to this in terms of Christ speaking in Matthew 13 about the meaning of his parables. And he was telling there as the disciples ask him, why do you speak in parables? Jesus points out that it is hid from the Pharisees and those who oppose him, but to those who he is revealing his truth to, it is becoming known. So that Christ himself, you see, his ministry is that which is hidden from the world but is revealed to those whom he is seeking and finding. And then he will be revealed at the second coming, if you're noticing there in verse 4, he will be revealed. So Christ himself, his life on earth is one of hiddenness. And it moves from hiddenness to being revealed at his second coming. Now watch. Watch. Don't miss this. What about me? What about you? Your life. Your life is hid right now with Christ in heaven, in God. So, Your life on earth in your pilgrim journey is one that is defined as hiddenness from the world of unbelief unless the Lord uses you to be an example and a testimony to that world of unbelief. And then you, as Paul points out in the passage, you will be revealed yourself when Christ is revealed. Christ, who is our life. Do you see it? By the grace and providence and gift of God, your life follows the same pattern of Christ's life. Christ's life on earth is one of hiddenness to being revealed at the second coming. Your life on earth is one of hiddenness to being revealed at the second coming. By God's grace, you get to live the exact same life pattern that Christ came and lived. You enter into his pattern of life. That takes on a lot of legs in terms of another theme that we know so much in Christ's life as Paul teaches the church. The life of suffering to exaltation. Suffering to exaltation. How marvelous is that? How rich is that? That God in his grace will see you through in terms of your resurrection living by conforming your life 
to the pattern of Christ's life. And thus, when Christ is revealed and you are revealed, everyone you have come in contact with that have mocked you for your faith, that mocked Christ as we heard read this morning, they will finally understand and know that Christ spoke the truth and that you, as a Christian, as a true believer in Christ, you yourself spoke and was a witness to the Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we ask, O Lord, that you would lead us by thy spirit, the power of thy spirit, that participated in the resurrection of our Savior, Let that participation be fully known in our own hearts that we ourselves would walk in faithfulness to the resurrection of Christ. May this body of believers be that which is exemplary concerning the truth of the resurrected Lord and Savior. Give us the strength. Give us the power through his power to seek, to set our minds upon the things above. And may we see it in our life, in the life of our church and in each other. In Christ's name, amen.